Please have a seat. Lovely to see you. You may remember quite a few years ago, a number of decades ago, the British Embassy in Beirut was ransacked, and there was chaos everywhere. The British ambassador was interviewed afterwards, and despite the fact that everything of value had been stolen, his whole family had been threatened and confined to a basement, and they had very little food, no electricity or running water. In that uh, typical and infamous uh, British stiff upper lip, he looked into the camera and said simply, life is really rather uncomfortable. In a similar way, Paul the Apostle, who is an ambassador in chains, understates his suffering. Despite the fact that he had faced false accusation and mob violence, he had been stripped and stretched out to be tortured, put in a dock where he was illegally assaulted. He escaped an assassination plot and ended up in the hands of a tyrant. He was shipwrecked on his way to Rome and was now confined in prison, uncertain about whether or when he would be executed. And yet, as he writes to the church in Philippi, he issues no complaint. There are no grumbles. He talks about his suffering simply in five words, what has happened to me? And not only does he understate his suffering, he actually rejoices in the midst of it. Of course, he doesn't rejoice because of it, but he rejoices in the midst of it because he sees that through it, his supreme calling in life is being fulfilled. And that calling is summed up in the three words, advance the gospel. The Greek word for advance means advancement in, in spite of obstructions and dangers which would block the path of the traveler. So it's not a straightforward or easy advancement. It's a hard-fought advancement. And Paul sees this as his purpose in life, to be involved in the most important thing in history, the advancement of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Not only is it Paul's core purpose in life. It is the core purpose of all Christians. Paul knew that the word was spreading throughout uh, the Roman imperial guard in the midst of his imprisonment. He said, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. The palace guard was about 10,000 men, hand-picked soldiers. They were the best of the best of the Roman soldiers. They were there to protect the emperor. They were paid more than other Roman soldiers, and they were given Roman citizenship on retirement together with a very generous lump sum. These were the best of the best in terms of the Roman soldiers. It was one of these men that Paul was chained to 24 hours a day, eight hours at a time. I often think, dear help those Roman soldiers who had eight hours of chaining, probably on a rotor basis to Paul. I'm sure they discovered that they were chained to someone who was a soldier in an army much more powerful than the Roman one. No doubt Paul made every opportunity to tell them why he was there, why he was chained, because of the good news of Jesus Christ. Sometimes I think we long to be placed in a position where we can show or tell others about the love of God. We may look forward to a time whenever we're less busy or 
have less work or fewer responsibilities or the children have grown up and left home or our health is better. But the time to serve God, the time to let the good news be known is always now. It's always here. God wants us to flourish where we're planted, not to wait for a different set of circumstances. God has placed us where we are for a reason, and the possibilities are all around us. In many parts of the world, followers of Jesus Christ face terrible persecution. In fact, from this weekend to next weekend, there's a whole conference about 100 meters from here at the end of Hamilton Road, part of the Bangor Worldwide Mission Convention. Our speaker at the half 11 service, Bishop Michael Nazir, is coming because he himself has experienced persecution. And his work now is to do with speaking out on behalf of Christians throughout the world who are living in very difficult circumstances or who are facing persecution day by day. This is a reality. And there are many brave people who are gathering in Bangor from all around the world to tell their story. I imagine like Paul, they will not say much about the suffering that they and their families have endured. Instead, they will want to say, it's all for the good of advancing the gospel. This should be a revelation for us who live in places where we have nowhere like the same sense of hostility against us. We have great freedom to tell others about Jesus Christ. Over these last months, we've been going door to door around Bangor with the We Are With You boxes, and we're well over halfway in doing that over the 4,200 homes throughout Bangor. And it's been so encouraging to see the response of people. Occasionally, yes, very occasionally, there are one or two households that really would prefer that we didn't come to their door. And if there's a sticker up saying, no callers, please, then we don't bother them. But the number of emails and cards that have come in over the last number of months because we have gone to someone's door with a little gift of coffee, tea, and chocolate, and a little word of encouragement has been fantastic. We've even had people who have come to the Fit Family Fun events and also have come to church because of the box being put through the door or a conversation that has happened on the door. And I've received so many emails from people in the middle of Bangor. Some who say, I'm a Christian, and it's so encouraging to see the church do this. Others, which I think are just as encouraging for me, are emails that say things like, I'm not a follower of Jesus Christ. I I don't have much time for Christianity, but I think that what you're doing is exactly what the church should be doing. We have all sorts of wonderful opportunities. And yes, there is some hostility out there, but we should recognize the fact that other Christians throughout the world would long to have the possibilities that we have, the freedom that we have. Paul says that some were preaching the gospel because of rivalry, because of a poor set of motives. Paul does long for their motives to be pure, but amazingly and so humbly, he sees that motivation as secondary to the fact that the Christian message is being communicated. I think it's indicative of Paul's humility that 
He isn't so much concerned about the threat of death that will be stirred up for him because of their motives, so much as the fact that people are talking about Jesus Christ. Sometimes people refrain from doing what is right because they're worried about their motives. They might say, I can't become a Christian because my motives would not be right, or I'm just not sure of my motives. But Paul's response would be, it's better to do the right thing, even if your motives are mixed. Who of us can say that our motives day by day are absolutely pure? We realize that we have doubts. We second-guess ourselves. Paul would say, just do what is right. And in that walk with God, our motives will be changed. Paul's purpose for living is to see this gospel of Christ advanced. He sees even his death as one which would be gain. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. I imagine all of us would love to have that level of faith that Paul has, to be able to look in the face of death and to look forward to that opportunity because of our relationship with God now and because we want more of that relationship. A number of decades ago, a Romanian pastor, Paul Nagrut, like Paul the Apostle, overcame the fear of death. He said, the strongest weapon the world has is to sentence you to death. After they kill you, there's nothing else they can do to you. That was the reason, that was the lesson that I learned time and time again from the secret police in Romania. Again and again, they threatened him with death. And he said, how do you respond to that? The greatest threat and power that they have is the power to kill you. The greatest victory for us is to die. So whenever they told me, we are going to kill you, I said, I can hardly wait. That will be my greatest victory, because then you will lose me forever, and I will be forever home. I will reach my destination. I can hardly wait. Although death had no terror for the Apostle Paul, he desired to go on living for the joy and progress of others, including those at Philippi. He told them his whole purpose in life is Christ. This contrasts sharply to what drives so many of us in today's world. Some are driven by the desire for money and apparent security that it brings, the desire to be loved or a hunger for success, fame, and significance. Others have realized that only Jesus Christ, only in Him, do we find the meaning and purpose of life. For instance, the golfer Bernard Langer once said in a television interview, the lifestyle that we, especially us sportsmen, are leading is all about money and who you are and who you know and what you have. And those things really aren't the important things. I think people who have these things, they realize that even when they have achieved all the goals they wanted to achieve, and of all the millions of pounds they wanted, and all the sports cars and the places they want to go, there is still something missing in their life. And I believe that's Jesus Christ. A number of years ago, there was a TV program about the income of British people presented by John and Dan Snow. Each of them went off to try different jobs to see what they were like and to interview the people who did them. 
Dan was given the less pleasant ones, like unblocking drains and the backbreaking work of harvesting fields of leeks, jobs that were not well paid. Later in the program, the founder of a successful internet comparison site was interviewed. He paid himself £300,000 per year, but he could have taken £103 million in profits. He was asked what drove him. His answer was this, fear of failure. I am absolutely terrified that I will fail. That's what pushes me on. What a pity it is to have your entire life driven by something so destructive as fear. I wonder what he'll do when it's time to retire. I wonder what his purpose of life will be. Paul had a much more wholesome purpose in life, to know Christ and to make him known. And for that, I needed both prayer and the help of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us to be like Jesus Christ. It's He like our personal trainer who helps to shape us and keep our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith. Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. People are so often drawn to Jesus Christ because of the, of the life of another Christian or the lives of other Christians in relationship to one another. And so Paul hopes that the Philippians will stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. He's thinking here of, in the metaphor of the Roman army, he's thinking of the image of a phalanx, a formidable military device for the Roman army in which a core of highly disciplined, heavily armed infantry would move forward shoulder to shoulder, the ones in the center holding their, their shields above their heads, the ones at the front and sides putting the shields. It was like a human armadillo completely armored on every side. As it moved forward, no one broke rank. Everyone held their shields firmly. It was a virtually invincible military tactic that struck terror into their enemies. But it only worked so long as they stuck together and each did their job. It's a reflection of the unity that Paul wants us to understand, that the gospel should bring about in our relationships, to be united in a faith, a common faith by the power of the Holy Spirit in a world that sometimes can be hostile to support one another, to encourage one another as the gospel is advanced, and to make that our central aim, our core reason for living, that no matter what, wherever we are, whatever the circumstances, whatever the risks, that we seek to live a life worthy of the calling of Christ, and in our words and our deeds together to advance the gospel of Christ to advance the kingdom of God's love, to bring blessing into a world that may not even know that it needs blessing, to stand firm in one spirit, and to know that as we do that, history has shown that many people realize that they see God in the midst of us, and they're drawn 
to join in this fellowship where we stand together shoulder to shoulder as one for the advancement of the gospel. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your deep love for us. We thank you, Lord, that in Jesus Christ we have no need to fear. We thank you that in Jesus Christ you've given us purpose in our life, a purpose which is overarching, a purpose which is exciting and exhilarating and challenging and worth living for. Lord, may you be glorified. May your gospel advance. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that together we may move forward, that a world may see that you are God, that you're the God of love, and Lord, that your campaign to reach all people is unlike any other campaign that history has ever seen, one of love and humility, one of unity and peace. And all this we ask for the sake of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.